This would be hilarious if it were not so breathtakingly tragic to put the word Christian with that word is an oxymoron. It's completely contrary. They're exclusive in the sense of public nakedness, sinful nakedness. The man filled with devils wear no clothes. Now, I'm not saying every nudist is demon-possessed. But I am saying that from the point of view of Scripture, it is unnatural to do what they think is being natural. Speaking of the people of the city, it says, Then they went out to see what was done, and they came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listen, clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right mind. When the Lord Jesus Christ set him free and gave him a new heart and restored his mind, where was he to be found and how was he to be found? At Jesus' feet, that's sanity. And in clothing. Our culture speaks more of the demonic influence than of the influence of the Word of God. When driven by the devils, the demoniac was bare. When in his right mind, by the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was covered. As we've seen, God covered man in the garden. God covered him. Satan has done all that he can to strip that off. And he's done a remarkably successful job in this country. And in church retreats. Now clearly, friends, some forms of public nakedness are shameful and or explicitly sinful since the fall of Adam. Exposing the male or female body which should be covered is out of harmony with the biblical model. And moreover, since exposing private parts of the body is shameful, it should be obvious, and somehow we've missed this as well, that clothing which emphasizes or purposefully draws attention to the private parts of the body are likewise shameful and immodest. When we wear clothing so tight that we're giving anatomy lessons, what are we doing but barely covering over and painting for display our nakedness? Well, let us consider then the covering for nakedness. When we go back to Revelation and we see that these people were poor and blind and naked, the answer for them in every case was the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. 
Brethren, that applies not only to the spiritual, but to the very natural understanding that we have of these things. First of all, they had nothing to offer their God. They were naked. They had nothing to offer God. They were quite self-satisfied, quite comfortable with their money and their condition. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, You are really bare. Let me say to you, Come to me. I'm counseling you to come to me and I will clothe you. Jesus Christ will clothe with salvation those who know they have nothing. If you recognize your spiritual nakedness. But brethren, it is the same thing as we saw with the demoniac. What's the answer to the issue of modesty to begin with? It is to be seated at the foot of Jesus Christ. Men can stand in pulpits and they can rant and they can rave and they can, they can uh, shoot at everything on the landscape. They can uh, pull all the examples out of Hollywood and the music business and talk about the wickedness of all these things. But brethren, those words fall on deaf ears until Jesus Christ gives a new heart. And opens the heart to love what is pure. And then there must be a biblical instruction. Paganism. Demonism. Revel in nakedness. The Bible recognizes that there is shame attached with nakedness. And covers the body. Because the body's evil, because the heart is wicked. We must understand that carefully. Those at Laodicea needed the Lord Jesus Christ as He was. They had to put off their filthy rags their self-righteousness, their self-satisfaction. They needed to put on the white raiment which Christ had purchased for them. The very salvation of the Lord is described in the simplest terms of putting on your clothes. The darkness in which these people found themselves is described by the Lord Jesus Christ as not having their clothes on. Could there be any simpler connection between this as evil and this as good? Jesus is saying in this sense, put your clothes on. Come to me for the robe of righteousness. Come to me that I may cover the the wickedness of your sins. His own imputed righteousness 
for justification, the garments of holiness and of sanctification. It's all found in Christ. And friends, the practical application is that our bodies, the literal body, needs to be covered. But I can say until you've been covered with the righteousness of Christ, it is doubtless that you will find anything what I'm saying desirable or practical. As the Scriptures have shown us, to make oneself bare is the very image of open shame. Brethren, I challenge you to go to the Scriptures and study this out. Take your concordance and look up the word naked and nakedness and read every place that you come. Look up the words. Look up the word shame and see how often it is connected to the word nakedness and naked. Let me close by reading to you Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10. Hope I'm not confusing anyone by moving back and forth from the realm of the spiritual picture to the practical uh, picture. Whether I should say the practical reality. Isaiah 61:10 says, "I will greatly rejoice in the Lord; my soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me. For He hath." clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Brethren, the Scriptures make plain, as far as I can read them, that we should not be publicly naked or wearing clothing that emphasizes the parts that should be covered, or exposes them. And spiritually, let us not miss the great, great lesson that we are without anything before the living God that will commend us to Him. We are helpless, hopeless, shamed and despair, deprived, naked but we may come to him by childlike faith repent of our sins and be clothed with the garments of righteousness may the Lord grant such to those who do not know him and to those who do but have not considered this issue of modesty may they take these very passages And thank them through carefully. May God grant you more light than I have. But I pray with all of my heart that you will wrestle before the Lord until you are convinced of what the Word of God calls us to in this matter. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. 
our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.